Um, so I figure we'll just get right into this, and that'll be the start of the episode. These words that I'm saying right now. Uh, yeah, Steve. L- I, if it, l- listen, if you're feeling if you're feeling like a high roller, if you're feeling ambitious, and you just want to pull it out like that, I'm down for the count. I don't like it when you. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't like it when you phrase it like that, Nick. <laughs> if this is your first time joining us, hi folks. This is the Song Tops Report, where we dissect bad, bizarre, or otherwise noteworthy music to figure out how it died. I'm your referee, Steve Trollinger. I am not a referee. I am a podcast co-host, Nick Brigadier. I can be your chair, ladies, <laughs> Mister. My no. I can God, be your chair. Okay. Oh, you can sit okay, on that kind. Of, yeah, you can sit on it. <laughs> I've slammed Mike Russell over someone's back during a wrestling match too. Like it, it yeah. adds up, I guess. Wrestling match, Nick. I'm so glad you segued so seamlessly into our topic of conversation today. And by sheer uh, coincidence. So yes, today um, we are going to be covering some wrestling songs. I know we did this. Uh, earlier last year with my uh, coverage of the wrestling albums one and two, the uh, it proved to be so insanely popular that I brought it back today. That's the only reason I'm doing I'm we're doing it again. Yes, um, c- certainly no other extenuating circumstances. Uh, without going into too many details, we did have something very exciting planned for this week. Um, without giving too much away, it involved some guests, but unfortunately, due to circumstances, uh, we weren't able to make that happen. Ah. So. Um, but that is still potentially coming in the future, so stay tuned for that. So in the meantime, yes, yeah, Steve will be taking us on another journey into the shockingly uh, musical world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but shockingly deep. It's it's amazing how much music wrestling has produced. They went they they went hand in hand after the sort of fist I, I and fist. remember. Yeah, fist to fist. Last uh, last time we talked about the wrestling albums, I brought up the origins of what was known as the Rock and Wrestling Connection, where uh, the WWF, as it was known at the time, was starting to break through the sort of MTV crowd and sort of getting itself away from pop culture obscurity into the mainstream. Uh, and that had a lot to do with introdu- the introduction of music. Um, and as Nick knows, I love creating little shows within shows uh, for the Song Tops Report. I've got my long-running uh, Night at the Movies, which I'm very proud of, where uh, we talk about things I like. Uh, that kind of touch on music in the barest amount possible. The thinnest Steve, of every, threads. Steve, thinnest every time threads. you host, we're doing something that you like. Wrestling, movies, horror movies. <laughs> um, hey, there's crossover. Nick likes horror movies. Uh, I do. That's, what, that's the only time you're outvoted. So uh, that's the... So I, I do the a night at the movies. If I'm going to make this a not regular occurrence, but semi-regular occurrence, I, I want to come up with a little thing for this. So we're going to call this show within a show the three count. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> so uh, because for those of you who aren't familiar with wrestling parlance, uh, to win most matches requires a pinning your opponent's shoulders to the mat for three seconds. One, two, three. Uh, and we are more or less covering one, two, three songs with a little bit extra thrown our way, just because I don't li- I don't even like keeping to my own internal logic that I create. Steve manufactures internal logic and then breaks it. Almost immediately. Uh, so let's get right into it. We are starting... A, I'm going to go chronologically speaking. We're going to start uh, back in the early to mid-90s. 
because the last episode with the rock with the wrestling albums uh, took place in the late 80s, sort of like the heyday of the golden age of the World Wrestling Federation, as it was known then, WWE now. Um, and so we're going to start uh, with like a little thing uh, I wanted to go into. Uh, how familiar are you two gentlemen with a personage by the name of the Undertaker? Oh, hell yeah. The oh, Undertaker yeah. is one of those characters where like... I was I personally was very very into wrestling for about a three year window. Um, I, I want to say like circa two thousand five to two thousand eight. But the Undertaker was one person who, even if you were only interested in WWF slash WWE for a little window of time, he was likely part of that because he spanned so many generations. He just retired like last year. This this past year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know we've talked about this before, but his uh, evolution and. Devolution was all over the place, man. Like, well, so yeah. Thank you for that segue, Mike. When he got the motorcycle, like, thank you for that segue, Mike. In the uh, early to mid '90s, uh, would be a comparatively low point in the fortunes of the then WWF. They're coming down off the highs they achieved during the Rock and Wrestling Connection, um, and uh, McMahon's product would be hit with two devastating blows at this time that forced it back into the realm of sort of pop culture obscurity that it had crawled its way out of, uh, one of which was the steroid scandal of 91 and 92, and the other was the purchasing of a rival promotion, Jim Crockett Promotions, by billionaire Ted Turner. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the whole steroids, uh, uh, it, you know, not obviously you wouldn't have been aware of it at the time, but the, the steroids scandal of the I was a very 90s. politically astute three-year-old. Yeah. Steve, how dare you? Basically, a bunch of res- uh, wrestlers went on record saying that uh, the WWE's sort of head doctor was selling them illegal steroids pushed oh. by Vince McMahon himself. Um, this would lead to McMahon being indicted, but eventually acquitted, uh, much like his WrestleMania opponent, Donald Trump. And these rich guys got something figured out, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's called being rich. So but that scandal wounded the brand because there's a lot of negative press around it. And then in addition, around the same time, 92 uh, billionaire Ted Turner, famous uh, crotchety eccentric billionaire Ted Turner, would purchase Jim Crockett Promotions, which was formerly the number two wrestling promotion in the country. And I remember last episode, I discussed a little bit about the nature of the origins of the different wrestling promotions. It was sort of like the mafia. Everyone's had their territories and things like that. Um, And he bought that, and he reorganized it as World Championship Wrestling, or WCW, which would be the WWF's sort of like big rival for the rest of the 90s. And Turner, being a billionaire, was able to throw a lot of money into this fledgling company, and that lured away all of WWF's top stars. So, like, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, uh, all these guys we talked about before, they were now following the big money in WCW. Ah. Now, because of this, uh, uh, Ted Turner also uh, obviously had several TV networks to his name, so the product immediately had national TV coverage. Damn. Damn. But despite these setbacks, the WWF pressed on uh, by relying on new talent or pushing younger stars that had been held back, uh, people like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Um, And much of this new generation would sort of help the WWF limp along, wounded but not destroyed for the next several years. And the most prominent of this new generation was The Undertaker, uh, a.k.a. I tried to do it like the announcers, but I always mess it up. Uh, (laughs) Steve. the Undertaker. There you go. Yeah, go uh, just take it all the way. <laughs> uh, A.K.A. Mark Calloway came to the WWF following disappointing stints in other promotions, 
Um, and <laughs> it's kind of funny thinking about the Undertaker's name is Mark. Yeah, he used to. Hey, Mark, to, what's up? He like, actually he actually worked in WCW before uh, going to WWF, and his character was a guy. The character was Mean Mark Calloway. Was his oh, character? Mean. He was just mean. Um. Now this he point wasn't in the mean. Product, he was just misunderstood, but misunderstood Mark Calloway didn't Mark just misunderstood. Quite, didn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> misunderstood. I wanted like a manic Mark, manic Mark Calloway. You know, just real like off the off the walls, off the mark. That could have been his finisher. Um, the question so, mark where he interrogates you. Um, around this time, a lot of WWF's characters were very gimmick heavy. They were like there was a plumber wrestler, and there was a if there was a a blue collar job, there was a wrestler that was that blue collar job. But uh, most of these characters were pretty silly. The one character that somehow managed to not only take the character into himself but supersede it and make it better than it was was The Undertaker, uh, who both as character and performer was able to overcome the fate of other wrestlers and has proven incredibly malleable over the years. He started off as a Western mortician, and then he became a satanic wizard, and then a zombie biker uh, who comes out to the ring to, uh, uh, who was it, Limp Biscuit to the strains yeah. of Limp Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sontopsy uh, alumni. Sontopsy alumni. So unkillable was he that not even the album I'm about to talk about could kill this mystique. So after the wrestling album one and two, McMahon tried a third foray into the music world with WrestleMania, the album. Uh, and this came out in 93, 1993 on RCA records. Um, it was produced and composed by famed British songwriters, Mike Stock and Pete Waterman, who were part of a songwriting trio responsible for hits from Rick Astley, Kylie Minogue and Bananarama. Um, and it was executive produced by famous mean person, Simon Cowell. What? Yes. Simon Cowell, uh, the third, uh, third wrestling album, the WrestleMania, WrestleMania, the album was executive produced by famous mean person, Simon Cowell, who I, uh, if it were nowadays, would probably have a lot more fun things to say about the album. The only person meaner than Mark. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, success of the wrestling albums one and two, though, would not follow uh, WrestleMania the album as much as those albums showcase the pop culture standing of the WWF in their era. WrestleMania the albums uh, sort of showcased the dire slump the company had just found itself in. So it wasn't that great. It didn't. Uh, it uh, it's an inexplicable mess of theme songs, original songs, musical backing tracks filled with people shouting catchphrases, failed to make any ch music charts, did chart in the UK at number 10. Uh, I thought the most uh, interesting thing about it, though, was The Undertaker's track, which goes like this. Sounds pretty, sounds pretty hardcore, right? That, Ooh, that's, that's, nice, that's like a the nice shredder right there, man. Sounds like The Undertaker, right, guys? Who would have guessed The Undertaker was so funky? Like, Who would have guessed The Undertaker was a Ghostbuster? <laughs> I want to see 
the Ghostbusters with the you know the fifth Ghostbuster of uh, <laughs> Undertaker following him around. I mean, he's a zombie. They would be going <laughs> <Yeah>. after him. <laughs> this is wonderful, Steve. I don't know what you're talking about. This is like. I, he is he is like seconds away from saying my name's Undertaker and I'm here to say, <laughs> yeah. This is uh this is definitely wait what was that um oh this is the, the Maniac Cop of yeah, the Undertaker. Yeah, I was just gonna say exactly Maniac like Cop Maniac theme. Cop. Yes, rep. yes. Check out our last horror themed night at the movies from this past Halloween to hear that bop. Uh, but yeah, that sounds like the Undertaker, right, guys? You can you can kind of see how this could be. Uh, this could definitely fit the Undertaker's overall mystique. Here, okay, let me let me play a little bit more for you guys. Hold on. Wait. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. I swear to God, they put The Undertaker in a recording booth and had him record these lines in isolation and say, okay, we're going to put them in a song. It's going to sound really cool and scary and creepy and ominous. And then they just slapped it on the back of like a Kids Bop Halloween instrumental track with spooky dancing skeletons. (laughs) I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I think synthesizers when I think The Undertaker, don't you guys? Simon Cowell, uh, executive produced this? Yes, this is uh, this is attached to him forever and ever until the day he dies. <laughs> In is which it... case he will be he will be buried by The Undertaker. <laughs> Where's, where's where's Will Smith in this song? That's what I want to... <laughs> I'm going to tell the, you a story of where I met my maker, and his name was The Undertaker. <laughs> there once was a guy named Mark. He's mean. He buried me alive, and I thought... Oh. I'd scream. Boop, 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 boop. So that's The Man in Black. Uh, I guess you could say performed by The Undertaker. Uh, that's pretty much the whole Growled song. Growled by The Undertaker. Yeah, I, I, that's... The, the song doesn't really change up too much from that for the next two and a half minutes. I just thought that that was a nice little primer for what we were going to discuss. Tonight. In my head, I see him dressed in full costume in front of like a child-sized Casio keyboard, just like noodling away on it and just <laughs> singing this at like an open mic. <laughs> uh, I hope you guys are warmed up. Yeah, I hope you guys are warmed up because that's not all. So now we're going to move on to the man himself, one Hulk Hogan, uh, who we've discussed Incidentally, brother, right? Yes. Yeah. One Holtzworth von Hogan. <laughs> yes, brother, dude, etc. Um, and we've we sort of danced around Hogan because we danced around him during the uh, Randy Savage Be a Man episode. We danced around him during the wrestling song episode, but we haven't necessarily heard the man himself sing. That's true. He's always been that one that got away. Which we are going to end that streak, just like the Undertaker streak was broken. We're going to break that streak right oh. now. A much less vaunted and valued streak. 
Um, Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Uh, Terry Bollea, was the top build star in WWF during the height of its popularity in the late 80s. However, in the early to mid-90s, Hogan was lured to the newly built WCW, which I brought up before, mm-hmm. by promises of bigger paychecks and creative control. And in his initial years there, he continued to basically play the same character he played in WWF, like all-American hero Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, we haven't, we didn't know he was a pervert yet. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> famous, fam, famous wrestling pervert Hulk Hogan. Um, There's so many illustrious. Wait, this, was he a, was he a pervert outside of the sex tape we're talking about, or the? No, uh, no, I was just I'm I'm, I'm, just, made, I'm making a lot of hay. Yeah, was that, that outside of the, the racist comments as well? Uh, yeah, the, basically just that one. That's all we have to talk about when it comes to Hulk Hogan. Um, but there's there's an aspect to Hulk Hogan uh, that we haven't talked about. Um, aside from his wrestling artistry, uh, Hogan's other great strength is his bullshit artistry. Coming from the world of professional wrestling, one can, can give one like a carny's sense of reality, like a step right up. A carny's, a, a carny, like a carnival sense of reality. Yeah, like a, a, a carny's <laughs> sense of reality, like oh yeah, sure that happened, or this man is a thousand pounds, or this you know that sort of the yes. bearded lady, like whoppers, <laughs> you know. Suspension of disbelief, Mike, is what I'm getting at. Oh, um, all right. I, I, I usually I think a carny's like I can't believe I'm here right now. Like, yeah. this is a scary place. <laughs> that like, too. My sense of reality tells me I should have a sharp knife on me at all times. Like, So among the whoppers that uh, Hulk, has, Hulk has told over the years include uh, Darren Aronofsky offered him the lead in the film The Wrestler three times, but he turned it down because he didn't deserve it. That was the thing he said. Uh, he claims he was an all-state pitcher in high school and was scouted by the Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds before an injury sidelined him. That didn't happen. Uh, he claimed to have completely rewritten scripts for his films Mr. Nanny and Santa with Muscles, only to have the WGA, the Writers Guild, deny him the credits. That didn't happen. Uh, he claims to have been scouted by the UFC and fought pride-fighting championship fighters in the 70s, despite the organization not existing until 1997. Uh, <laughs> oh, he my God. Once claimed that he drank He's a pathological John... liar, man! <laughs> he claimed that he drank John Belushi under the table after WrestleMania II, despite him having died four years before that. He claims <laughs> he, he claimed that he worked 400 nights a year because the time difference involved in flying back and forth to Japan from America... <clears throat> mathematically worked itself out to 400 nights um, because of the uh, time time I'm starting to wonder if he just liked lying and seeing (laughs) what people thought about it. Like, just ridiculous bullshit. Yeah, I worked 400 nights a... (laughs) Never, never, never doubt Hulk Hogan's ability to self-promote. Just, he learned it, he learned it, Years of years of in the wrestling business will do that to you. Uh, he also apparently turned down joining Metallica, even though Metallica denies it to this very day. Um, <laughs> but despite being turned down by Metallica, even though he wasn't, uh, that didn't stop him from expressing himself musically. Uh, and in 1995, Hogan briefly fronted a newly formed musical group called Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band, which featured his then wife Linda and the Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart. Uh, I t- brought up Jimmy Hart in a last wrestling uh, album discussion. The guy with the like crazy suits with the hearts all over him, who had the megaphone. He'd come down to the ring and yeah. scream at people through his megaphone and hit people over the head with it. And he he managed a bunch of wrestlers, and that was sort of was known for. But uh, despite that, 
or not despite that, in addition to that, he was also a former member of a band called The Gentries, which I also brought up in that previous episode. Go check it out. Uh, so Hart had a musical background that he brought with him, and he would use that to create theme songs for wrestlers during the golden age of wrestling, like the Honky Tonk Man, Jimmy Snuka, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, The Rockers, The Hart Foundation, uh, Legion of Doom, Hulk Hogan, Sting, and his greatest work of art, the entrance theme for Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy. Uh, he's responsible for that. I know Mike loves Sexy Boy. Yeah. Um, I kind of do, too. I'm not going to lie. Yo, big fan. Big fan. So uh, Jimmy Hart... Jimmy Hart Jimmy Hart joins the wrestling boot band and uh, writes its music for, for him, but it's fronted by Hulk Hogan. Um, and one of the tracks on that album is a song called Hulkster in Heaven, and it goes like this. Is this a sensitive exploration of the afterlife? What? I saw it on TV I guess it'll be one empty seat When I wrestle at Wimbledon Wait, 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 wait who, is, who is saying that? That's Hulk Hogan That's Hulk Hogan? That's Hulk Hogan He's, He <laughs> the fronted the band The tones of Hulk Hogan He fronted the band He's the lead singer in the band He's the leader of the band Which is another track on this album But I, that's not the one we're talking about today <laughs> Oh my! I'm picturing like Hulk Hogan. You know when he when he had his hair real nice and brushed, and I see him in like a lounge suit, just like a, a little little flower on his on his breast pocket, and he's just like he's d- just d- dress shirt. Like it's it's unbuttoned, like four buttons down, but otherwise it's relatively yeah. classy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta have the classy. Yeah, shows a little bit of skin when you're the wrestler at all times, you know, but. Oh man, he's he's uh, he's swooning me right now. You know, it's. Uh... But have you have you heard the lyrics yet? Have you been listening to the lyrics? What did he say? Well, yeah. Can we All go right, back? Hold on. Yeah. I was just so shocked to hear his voice sound like that. I read it in the papers. I saw it on TV. I guess it'll be one empty seat when I wrestle at Wembley. I used to tear my shirt. But now you tore my heart I knew you were a hulkamaniac Right from the very start Right from the start <laughs> You were my friend I'll see this So, a little, a little bit of background of this song I don't want any background, I just want to enjoy this Um so, the uh, the aforementioned bolstered artistry, artistry is per none of those really take the cake so much as the story that he tells as the impetus of the writing of this song. Hogan claims he wrote this song in 1992 after he met a dying Make a Wish kid in the UK. He bought the child a ticket for SummerSlam '92 at Wembley Stadium. When he went out to wrestle. He saw that the chair designated for the kid was empty, and he knew in that moment the child had passed away. The problem with the story and the song being that Hogan wasn't on the SummerSlam card in 92, wasn't in the UK, and wasn't part of the company at the time. Does he not think people won't look into it? (laughs) He really, in the, you know, 80s through the early 90s, had no concept that the internet would take off. 
So Steve, it doesn't matter if it's actually true. It doesn't matter if it's actually true. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter if it's actually true. And listeners, I'm throwing up huge air quotes. Actually true. It matters if it feels true in your heart, Steve. It matters if he can imagine a scenario where he did this for this UK kid. It doesn't matter if that UK kid actually existed or not. Come on. You know, you know what? You know what, Nick? I think unironically, I have to agree with you on that sentiment. I mean, how many touching feel good songs, not feel but like these touching pull on your heartstrings songs are out there that uh, that emotionally manipulate you when re- truthfully, the uh, the writer of the song didn't experience any of that. Yeah, there was no Christmas <laughs> shoes kid, just like there was no Hulkster in heaven kid. Yeah. But the sentiment, the feeling is there. That's what you're trying to get, well, right? Then he doesn't have to make it up. He could just say, I wrote this song to do this. He doesn't have to say it's based on a real thing. If you want to sell it, Steve, up. you do. He was he was making the canon for the for the origin and, and then you know throughout story of Hulk Hogan. This is Terry, you know? He's just Terry. <laughs> Um, so lyrics we just heard, I read it in the papers, I saw it in TV, I guess there'll be one empty seat when I wrestle at Wembley. I used to tear my shirt, but now you've torn my heart, which I saw Nick enjoyed that lyric. Because at first, uh, I, so I, at first I thought, okay, Hulk Hogan has a sense of humor because that line is ridiculous, but if he truly thinks this was for a dying child, then did he write he that know- line unironically? Is he so, as you said, in such a carny world, he doesn't realize what that line sounds like to just any layman. Well, you know, but Nick, again, to be fair, to I love our, fostering discussion. To our Hulk Hogan man, you know, I'm not known, maybe you're not known, Nick, for tearing your shirt off, right? Not but since my college days. He he does, he does this on the reg, right? Every week he's Hulk Hogan. Every day. Rip. Every day he's Every tearing his shirt off. He's tearing his clothes off, his shirt off. He's never so, lifted a shirt over his head. He's just torn every shirt off before he goes to bed at night. So when he says, I used to tear my shirt, but now you've torn my heart, I don't think you can get any more real and heartfelt than that. Also, I don't or know if you guys felt. have ever been I don't know if you guys have ever been to an actual like wrestling show. Those shirts are not cheap. Oh yeah. Those those wrestler t-shirts are like $40. And he comes out and he rips one apart every single day. That put the comp- almost put the co- must almost put the company in a hole themselves. <laughs> That's why they lost so much money in the late eighties. When the poster comes to heaven, 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 we'll tag up again, again, again. The world just stops. Wait, pause. Pause this shit. Okay, not since Justin Bieber said Anne Frank would have been a believer have I heard someone so wildly misconstrue the death of someone they perceived as a fan of theirs. The world lost another Hulkamaniac. That takes a special sort of narcissism. You know, I I often can try to promote a little bit. You know, everyone should have a little splash of it. You know, love yourself, take care of yourself, promote yourself. But for Christ's sakes, man. Like for Hulk's li- sake. <laughs> for, you're, 
<laughs> You're talking about the death of a of a kid. <laughs> oh, let me throw my name in here. Yeah, oh, I, I lost I another Hulkamaniac because Steve. that's the only thing you amounted to, kid. Yes, that <laughs> you was your life. That was me. <laughs> your relationship to me was all you will be known for. And also, Steve, the more I hear about this, the more lyrics I hear of the song, the more I don't know. Is it more offensive that he made this all up? Or would it have been more offensive this if this there actually was this kid who died, and this is what Hulk Hogan, I, this is his tribute to this dead child? I, I think what your if-or statement is actually obfuscating is the fact that either way it's offensive. <laughs> I suppose so, yes. Is it offensive because of this, or would it be offensive because of the this? World but it is offensive. Another, another Hulk Hulk I, I, with you, you really don't want Hulk Hogan trying to comfort you about like a death in the family. Let me tell you something, brother. It's really sad when kids die, dude. But I bet if he was alive, brother, he'd be at my show, dude, watching the Hulk. The Hulk's are kicking a lot of ass, brother, dude. Let me tell you something, dude, brother. It's sad when kids die, dude. This has been another eulogy for the Children's another, Hospital by Hulk another Hogan. Children, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Why do we keep inviting him? I, I'm buying this album wherever I can find it. It's called Hulk Rules by Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band. <laughs> Steve, I know you have several songs to play, uh, that, and we we're just kind of getting started, but I've got to hear more of this. I All right, must. we'll play. We'll play a little bit more. We'll play a little bit more. Let me, tell, let me tell you something, brother. I wish you were alive, dude. Because if you were alive, the most important thing, brother, would be that you were here at ringside, dude, to cheer me on. That'd be the most important thing, brother, about you being alive, dude. Certainly not the devastated parents of this made-up child. Certainly not any of that. It's the fact that this child could be cheering him on if he hadn't inconveniently died. Now, what you gonna do, brother, when Hulk Hogan brings children back to life, dude? Now... Now, guys, is it Hulk Hogan's fault? Yes. That, yes. <laughs> that, Whatever you're saying. hundred percent yes. yes. That this, that this, well, real or imaginary kid, but a kid nonetheless. And if it is an imaginary one, it's the one that Hulk Hogan has made up in his old noggin up here. And uh, listen, the background of this kid is he's been sick a long time, you know, and, he, and he's been a... Uh, He's been watching wrestling, and he loves Hulk Hogan, and it's not Hulk Hogan's fault, okay? It's Unless, not his uh, fault. Mike, maybe the child Let had a Let me tell you something, brother. Mike. Let me tell you something, brother. It's easier to die than live in pain, dude, and that's the Hulkamania way. Mike, it may have been his fault. We don't know if this child had actually caught a terminal case of Hulkamania. Hulkamania. <laughs> that's what you don't understand, brother, is Hulkamania is a life-giving restorative force, dude. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's I kind like of the end for new lyrics for that was the end of the new lyrics by the way for Hulkster in Heaven the rest is just the sort of chorus. Oh my God, right. that is uh, that 
might be. I know that this is like a wrestling album. We're throwing a few songs in this episode. That might be one of the most shockingly in poor taste songs we've ever covered. I hold on. What what one that I was want to wrap up saying there? Like you just to just to give it a, a more a better taste in your mouth, right? Sometimes you just got to swish it around a little bit. Get the really taste of Hulk can, out of your mouth. You just gotta consider. It may have that may have been that kid's dream, just being ringside screaming up at Hulk Hogan. You know, it pe- may have been some, some people, but, but some Hulk is in dreams. control of the narrative. <laughs> Hulk people, made up the dead child, and also made up the fact that if that child that made up dead child was not dead, would have been cheering him on ringside. Yeah, how many Hulkamaniacs though? You think drop a couple tears to this song? Oh, yep. I'm sure some did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure some right did. Right on, brother. Right on. <laughs> Let me tell you something, dude. It hits me right where it hurts, brother. Um, so that's that's it for new lyrics. And Mike, I'm glad you mentioned uh, getting bad tastes out of people's mouths because that's going to segue into our next uh, song discussion. Eat uh, my poop. Ex- oh, I don't know what my- song. <laughs> is that, uh, is that what it's called? <laughs> not necessarily. Um, but we are going to talk about a wrestler. And his name is Rikishi. Ah! Uh, I think cool. I know. I think <laughs> no. I think I know where this might be going. So uh, Rikishi, a little bit of background. Uh, name, real name, Salafa F. Fatu Jr., uh, known by his ring name Rikishi, is a member of one of the most prominent wrestling dynasties. And I will screw up these names, so I apologize. Uh, the Anawai family. Uh, originating from American Samoa, the Anawai family tree boasts among its branches Rikishi, his sons, the tag team known as the Usos, uh, wrestlers Rosie, Umaga, Yokozuna, Umaga. the tag team, yes. the Wild Samoans, uh, and the extended family members include Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Nia Jax. The Rock's grandfather, the Samoan wrestler High Chief Peter Maivia, was received into the family as a, bro- as a blood brother. I wasn't able to discover the circumstances that led to that, but I assume some shit must have gone down. So um, are you saying Rikishi and The Rock? They're not genetically related, but, but the families a, but are. But through like a pact, through the yeah. old blood brothers pact. You guys ever do that? You guys ever slash a hand open and 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 shake hands with your buddy? Nope. In seventh grade, I watched a documentary in health class about AIDS, where they discouraged that. Just another thing the liberal uh, media is taking uh, from us, Mike. I had I had electric brothers. We uh we we all held on to uh, electric fence together. That was that was uh, that was nice. <laughs> Mike explains so much. Yes, yes, Nick. Mike had a hundred brothers. <laughs> what? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what question to ask. So, uh, so Rikishi, his cousin Yokozuna, um, they both took as their ring name a general Japanese term for sumo wrestler because of their respective sizes. Um, Rikishi and his cousin, other cousin Samu, would tag for a number of promotions. They'd go into the WWF. Uh, they'd become known as the head shrinkers. They really leaned into the whole sort of like wild man gimmicks. They wrestled without boots on. Like, you know, they come from a jungle place, that sort of like old school racism that used to get away with all the time. Yes. Um, oh, oh, that. that, that uh, when Rikishi came back in 1998 as a singles wrestler, he did so as Rikishi fought two and eventually just Rikishi. Uh, he gained some weight, adopted a sumo-esque gimmick. Subway. Um, yeah. Uh, he started wearing a thong loincloth to the ring. Of note, 
to what we're going to talk about, his cousin Yokozuna always wore tights underneath his loincloth, but that is not traditional in sumo. Rikishi and Vince McMahon, he had a hand in this, both agreed that they would honor the sumo tradition by having him just wear the cloth without the trunks, leaving his exceptionally large butt cheeks exposed. Mm. Um, oh, in God. 2000, oh, and that turnbuckle special, man. Oh. In 2000, Rikishi joined the struggling tag team Too Cool to form a wildly popular trio whose post-victory dance routines became a big hit. And as part of his new babyface gimmick, he developed a new signature maneuver, taking advantage of his attire called the Stink Face, which Mike <laughs> just alluded to, with an opponent incapacitated in the corner of the ring, usually due to Rikishi running into them butt first. He would then slap his ass cheeks, hike up the thong, and bury his opponent's face deep within his ass crack, which would be used to hilarious effect on the company's top heels, eventually even acting as comeuppance for one Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Reason with him. McMahon looks ill. He looks like he's going to... He's going to lose his lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Oh, look at Wait a minute! Oh, no! Look at Rikishi! Look at the rock! Rock called him Mr. McMahon! I think Rikishi's going to bang it to him! Give it to him! No, don't! Don't! He's a millionaire! He owns his company! You know what? So you know, right. real quick, Mike. You know, I gotta say, there are some moments where I am proud to be an American. I will say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do come up. Was on this occasion. one of them? This is one. Was of this them. one of them? Uh, in case you didn't, in case you weren't aware, the uh, product at this time was geared heavily toward teenagers. Um, so I can't imagine. Well, they love faces getting shoved into asses. That's well, they do. <laughs> teenage boy one hundred and one. Uh, <laughs> and for people I who say sh- wrestling is fake, you know, there's some things that you cannot fake. No, Vince you McMahon's cannot. Face. Vince McMahon's face yeah. was in Rikishi's ass, and you know, and that despite you know, I know Vince has done some evil stuff as a as a billionaire can do, but. He'll, he puts himself through some shit, man. Sometimes literally. literally. <laughs> he, gets himself, he gets himself deep into it, just as far as he can go into the shit. Um, now, you may ask, why bring this up at all, Steve? Well, Steve, why bring this up at all? Thank you. In 2004, uh, the uh, WWE, as it was now known, released an album called WWE Originals. Uh, and this was the first album since WrestleMania, the album, in 1993, which we talked about, to feature original songs performed by the wrestlers themselves. Up until this point, it had been like 10 years, and all of the, tr- song, all of the albums that came out were compilations of theme songs. This was the first time since that uh, WrestleMania album that the wrestlers would sing, um, which we all love. And uh, it uh, produced by WWE music guru Jim Johnston, uh, featured a bunch of originals like John Cena's Basic Thugonomics. This was the first intro of that. Uh, and it had a, a mix of like early aughts, rap, pop, and rock music. And Rikishi is featured on the album. And when you think to yourself, uh, what kind of song could you have Rikishi sing? I think the only true answer is this one. It's a slow jam. 
Bravo. The, the title of the song is Put a Little Ass on It by Rikishi. No matter what it is in your life, just put a little ass on it. If every listener hasn't added this to their bedroom playlist, then I don't know what's wrong with them. This is, I mean, this is a panty dropper right here, right? Uh, or in some cases, a panty hiker upper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the world's crazy, Mike. You're holding on tight, trying hard just to keep control, but don't let go, and don't worry, baby, because you know what's going to fix all those blues? Me putting my ass on you. That is... I mean, I won't know until it happens, so why not put a little ass on it? I'll tell you what, I typically feel better when a little ass is put on it, you know? <laughs> in in the way we just saw him him do in that way or in a different way. I want to see the clip you just showed us, Steve. I'm sure someone's put together an edit of the scene you just showed with the rock shoving Vince McMahon's face into Rikishi in slow motion with a song playing in the background. And then there's just giant cheeks shaking back and forth. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to cover the whole song just because we'll keep it brisk. We want to only put so much ass on this. Also, I got to say, he's not a singer, but his voice isn't awful. Like, it's actually got yeah. like that little bit of raspiness that almost works for like a slow, groovy R&B song. It's also, yeah, it's also like 90s R&B, which the rest of the album is not that. It's all like, it's early aughts, so it's all like Linkin Park type of angry. I mean, like, that was more my jam <laughs> in the early yeah. 2000s. But, uh... Uh, I want to just zip ahead here to the bridge, just because uh, we're. Uh, I want to keep it brisk. Let's but put some ass on lyric. the bridge. We'll keep this brisk iced tea going. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> you're welcome, Mike. <laughs> I know the sun ain't where it's supposed to be. I know your heart was broke, but baby, believe in me. I'm gonna show. It's gonna make it better I just need you to follow My prescription to the land <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Dr. Rikishi, Dr. Rikishi I, what, what do I need? What do I need to feel better? Doctor, doctor, give me the news I need an assload of loving you I need more ass on it. More ass on it. I'm addicted Doctor, to ass doctors, on it, Doc. Doctor, she's defibrillating. What do you do? Put a little ass on it. This is the problem with America. It was the overprescription of ass on it. Oh, man. I got to get rid of this pink eye. Don't put a little ass on it. That was what I was thinking when I saw Vince McMahon's face going into 
disappearing into hey, those cheeks. Hey, everyone, everyone thinks wrestling's fake, but, you know, like, these guys face risks every day in the ring. Anybody who fought Rikishi in a match had a 90... 70 to 90 percent chance of coming away with conjunctivitis depending yeah. on how he bathed that day so Yo, like that's a risk guys it's a risk i think rikishi's a classy man and he 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 definitely must have bleached his asshole you think he did you think he'd hook his brothers up like that be like don't worry guys put a little bleach on it <laughs> put a little bleach on it um but uh, that's so that's putting ass on it uh i like that fun- one I am. I am. I had a sneaking suspicion you would, Mike. Um, But uh, for our final entry, we're going to go to Rikishi's uh, blood cousin, The Rock. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who The Rock is. Blood brother. Um, Oh yeah, uh, I've heard of The Rock. He's he's yeah. I'm not even gonna really not gonna not gonna go too much into who The Rock is. I hear he's got Um, a hell of a tequila. I hear that too. But The Rock, uh, born Dwayne Johnson, to professional wrestler Rocky Johnson and Adam Maivia, uh, following the fizzling of his football career, decided to go in the family business, made his way to the WWF in 1996, where he wrestled under a ring name formed from his father and grandfather's ring names, Rocky Maivia. Uh, initially pushed as a clean-cut babyface and leaning heavily on his lineage, uh, audiences began to sour on him uh, due to the fact that they were just bored with that kind of character they didn't care they didn't want to see it they were tired of him being shoved down their throats uh and uh, eventually johnson would find himself the singular target of those fans uh and would endure chance of die rocky die and docky and, and rocky sucks and in response to this johnson turned heel in 97 joining a heel stable the nation of domination speaking in the third person demanding everyone calls him the rock and he used this new persona to take his he used basically his real life persona dialed it up to 11 and used his natural charisma to lash out at all of the like the audiences that had spurned him. And that charisma and brashness and his promo abilities would eventually lead to him, along with Stone Cold Steve Austin, becoming this new breed of babyface where you could get behind them, even though they were a bit of an asshole. But they were just so charismatic and fun to watch that you Not like Rikishi them. asshole, but... Right, no, different, different. Um, now, part of those promo abilities included an ability to engineer catchphrases from seemingly nowhere. <laughs> I love um, his catchphrases. At this point in time in our in in the modern day, uh, The Rock has sixteen to seventeen different catchphrases, many of which include a number of variations. I brought up a list of them here for uh, for those of us who are, may not be familiar there's the uh, you know the the ones that everyone's probably familiar with with uh, do you smell what the rock is cooking or if you smell what the rock is cooking yeah uh, the rock <laughs> will layeth the smackdown on candy asses um, my personal favorite kind of take an everyday object uh, shine it up real nice turn that some bitch sideways and stick it straight up your candy ass <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, he would modify that and say monkey ass whip your monkey ass make your monkey ass famous whip your monkey ass over god's green earth uh the rock is the best damn whatever champion he happened to be um uh everyone's favorite the rock would ask you a question as though he deigned to understand your opinion on a subject only to then lash out and say that it doesn't matter what you think about said particular subject um was so trollish, but that's probably my favorite. <laughs> you yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin are the biggest piece of trailer park trash. Welcome to God's Green Earth. 
I that think was I remember his... when he said that. Yeah. That's yeah. his very specific Stone Cold Steve Austin catchphrase. Could only only use it for Stone Cold. <laughs> I love that. Oh, uh, because I used to. Like, so me and my buddy, when we used to watch this as kids, like I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was a rock fan, so this is love loved when they worked together. But you know, sometimes they weren't on the same page. So Mike, after a long night of grabbing electric fences, would you then go watch wrestling? <laughs> Yeah, Nick. Yeah. And then we Hell can recreate yeah. it in the basement. Or, exactly. Or out, out, out in the backyard. <laughs> oh, my God. Steve, you'd probably know. In Japan, did they ever do wrestling matches where the ring was replaced with electric fence? You know, I don't know that 100%, but I'm going to say I'm 90% certain it did happen. That has to have been done somewhere at some point. If they did barbed wire and also rigged explosives around the ring, I'm sure that they did that. <laughs> so there is one catchphrase or one subject that The Rock in the late 90s happened upon. Uh, and I have the video of the sort of impetus of it here. Now The Rock says there are many type of pies. There is apple pie. Oh yeah, apple pie. Mom's apple pie. Can we give a little context? He's, he's at a wrestling match with a huge crowd staring at what looks like a Thanksgiving dinner? What is it's, happening? It's an, ep- it's an episode of Raw. It's on Thanksgiving. So Raw, it, this particular episode of Raw takes place on Thanksgiving. So lining the, the front of the ring where the announcer's table are is a big Thanksgiving sort of cornucopia table. And lining one particular table is a bunch of your normal Thanksgiving pies that you would think of on, the, on celebrating that particular occasion. Okay. That's not bad. There is... Pumpkin pie. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Pumpkin pie's your favorite? (laughs) Pretty good pie to the rock. There is also pecan pie. That's one of my favorites, pecan pie. The rock doesn't like that too much. Uh Uh-oh. And, of course, there is the rock's all-time favorite, including Rochester's all-time favorite, poontang pie. (laughs) (laughs) Tang pie! Check it out, kid. Look at this. <laughs> so yeah, hey, get that um, I'm surprised they got away with that. There's a lot they got away with in the late '90s. Let's just say 2000s. the pie was, uh, listeners, the pie was frosted in a um, not very subtle way. It uh, it the Rock uh, sort of started to make mention in promos as to. Uh, his particular favorite type of pie. And that pie would be a very, very buried, deep-down euphemism. Nobody could possibly grasp grasp its significance unless they were told uh, for a woman's, you know... Vagina? For her vagina. Yes. (laughs) Pie equals vagina to the rock. The pie so he would often extol the virtues of pie. Isn't isn't a a pie when... You fill something. With no, something. that's not the definition of a pie, Mike. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, a pie is a delicious dessert dish frequently had during holidays. Which oh shit, you know now that I phrase it like that. Uh, yeah, there you go. So uh, so he would be known as jabroni beaten, pie eaten. He would the Rock would basically extol the virtues of going down on women, uh, and he would then he made it cool. <laughs> he he would then also uh, enhance this pastry-laden uh, entendre with mentioning things about the Rock's strudel, how the Rock had uh, the Rock it loves pie but possesses strudel, 
Um, and he would use that to make fun of people. He would ask what kind of pie people would like, and then he would say, of course, it doesn't matter what kind of pie they like. It um, doesn't matter! <laughs> um, and so... This would all come to a head uh, with the WWF The Music Volume 5, which was one of those WWF music albums I mentioned in between periods where it would just be the theme songs for the different wrestlers. This is the fifth volume of which, uh, but this would be the first one to feature uh, two original songs not involved with the wrestlers themselves. One was The Game, written by Motorhead. Love that uh, song. Which would be... Triple H's new theme song. Uh, and the other would be a song performed by The Rock called Pi. You know, The Rock's gonna tell you a little story. You ain't gonna believe it, but he's gonna tell you anyway. It's tough to be The Rock. No, oh, no, no, shut your mouth. No, no. It really is. Even though The Rock is The Rock is the most electrifying man in all of showbiz. You see, when The Rock gets too much, too much of the fame and, and all the bright lights, he likes to kick back and have a slice of that unadulterated delight. All right. Yo. Is it pie? Is that what the delight is, Steve? Is it pie? It may be pie. I gotta say, what's really made... Uh, these songs for me are the background singers. Today, the background singers have truly brought the 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 overall the emotional journey of these songs. It's such a feel. Yes, they really like where it almost sounds legit. The irony I find <laughs> is that wrestlers to get in shape have to do a lot of heavy lifting, but when it comes to their music, it's the background singers who have to do the heavy lifting. Gonna let that silence just sit there. What? Am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> they enhance the they the enhance they're the enhancement talent. We're about to listen to an inter, interlude that involves uh, the uh, rapper producer Slick Rick, aka Richard Waters. He's a British American rapper and producer. He was a member of Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew in the eighties. Uh, he was one of the first artists signed to Def Jam Records, and he's known primarily for being an innovator in. Introducing narrative and storytelling elements to rap, as opposed to like freestyling, which was prevalent at the time. Well, then he has um, my respect. Is, yes, which is confusing considering what this song is about to sound like. Welcome to Rick's Bakery. Can I help? Wait a minute. Aren't you the famous Rock? Yeah, the Rock, the people's champ in the house. What's oh happening, Slick? Hey, how you doing, guy? Listen, you got to take a picture before you leave, guy. Oh, 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 the Rock don't want to take pictures. The Rock just wants a piece of pie. You got any of that in this oh, bakery? I got every kind of pie you can think of. I got strawberry pie, blueberry pie, apple blueberry. pie. What? Oh, no, no, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, Slick, it doesn't matter what type of pie you have. Let the Rock tell you a little story about pie. There's a story okay. about pie. I can't so, wait to hear it. <laughs> there's there's like three layers to this song. There's much the, like the pie. The, much like pie. There is the sort of gospel intro. There's the story, and then there's a story within a story. We're getting to inception. We're incepting this song. Driving down south, though quickly aroused, when my car caught a flat near this old farmhouse. I hope somebody's <laughs> home, taking a chance at it. Knocked on the door, and this fine chick answered. You're the rock! Can I use your phone? I'm shaking. Sure, if you got some Okay, wait, wait, Steve. <laughs> okay. 
just so much going on in these first few things here. Driving down south, though quickly aroused. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yes, and? Like, why is he telling us about the boner he's having driving around through the south? Maybe that's not what aroused means. Maybe he's just like... He's aware of his ar- his surroundings. It doesn't matter what aroused him. <laughs> it doesn't matter what aroused means. Thank you, Nick. Nick Nick's into the spirit of the show. So, uh, yes, Mike, he's driving down south. He's quickly aroused. His car catches a flat tire near his old farmhouse. Moo. He walks up. He opens somebody's home. He knocks on the door. A fine chick answers because, you know, we're gentlemen here. Um she uh, sounds just like The Rock. It's uh, it's unreal. It, it's actually Slick Rick. Slick Rick it's is Slick doing Rick all the other doing? characters. Yeah, <laughs> it's doing all the other characters. Um, uh, so he asked You're to use the, the phone. <laughs> he asked to use the phone, but she agrees only if he has some of her pie. So the use of the telephone is conditional upon him tasting her pie. Which would be tough for me with the gluten. Yes, Nick, you would not be able... Like, that is... <laughs> your choice is your choice is death or walking down an old su- highway in the south in no, the middle of the rain. No, not death, but ironically enough, it would literally be if I have your pie, I might get a rash. <laughs> Driving down south, though, quickly a rash. <laughs> was that? Was that? Uh, but the rock continues. Got some of this pie I'm making. Daisy Duke shorts on five foot stood. Said, sure, what the heck? I mean, it did smell good. So let's call rock in the kitchen towards the vapor. There's a grandmother, aunt, and a Chinese neighbor. Okay. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a a simpler time. Yeah, yeah. 2001. <laughs> you love to okay. hear the, the what, what? What is it called? The the Asian riff? Just the yeah. Most it was called. Sta- it used to be called the Oriental. The Oriental riff. riff the most yeah. stereotypical. <laughs> the Rock enters the kitchen. There's the there's the the hot chick. There's her grandmother, her aunt, and her Chinese neighbor for some reason. Um. I guess there's a lot of Chinese immigrants in the South farmlands. This, look, you know, Rock, Rock is just giving a shout out to all the, the pretty Chinese ladies out there that might be digging. Well, we don't even know the gender of this. They just said Chinese neighbor. We don't know the gender. We don't know the age. We don't know where in China. Well, if he's going to be, <sighs> well, here, here. So let's get in to see how much more problematic this song is. The Rock said, thanks ladies, and more kind words, grandmother said, be polite, eat mine first. So I sat down, tried her, she looked quite glad, had a strange taste of mold, but it wasn't so bad. <laughs> the Rock had a pie in the country, devoured her aunts, and Stella was hungry. That's all Rock said? Bored and reading the papers, till finally a plate of the next door neighbors, called it down fast, cause it really did please. I mean, it tasted so good, Rock was talking Chinese. <laughs> Hang on, not to rub this into the poor rock, who I'm sure would rather forget this, but that (laughs) little clip right there. I mean, that sound clip, that four seconds has got to haunt him. Oh, man. It was a simpler time. He was just trying to have a little fun, Nick, but. 
He was trying to have a little fun breaking down the entire culture of a billion strong people with a history dating back thousands of years into Ching Chong Bing Bong Chinese. We're not all Chinese history majors, you know? Like, There's a fine line between those two, though, Mike. Although, I'd wager none of us are. Um, but uh, aside from the outro, I, let's end on the racism. Um, let's, let's end on... The people's champ, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, being very overtly in, in, offensive in different, all sorts of different realms. Okay, but you know what, Steve, flip side of the coin, it's also pretty progressive that he is focused on the women's pleasure throughout the entirety of this song. It's not about his this satisfaction. It is about bringing them satisfaction. That's it. Yes. It's all about pleasing them ladies and eating those pies. And it's all about doing it in the most teenage way possible yeah her old lady her pie had mold on it but he still ate it i think we so, can all learn a lesson from that it's called respect kids respect your elders eat that pie know your role and eat that pie <laughs> uh but that's it for the three count one two three i'm down for the count guys i have been eliminated from i believe this episode. we all are down for the count um Supposed to be down for I'm, pie. I'm down for some pie. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I don't know about you guys, but I want some pie. Well, Steve, thank you for the crack research job on this. Notice, Mike, I said crack research job. Crack. Uh, yes. yes. Crack. I, I did put a little ass on this research. You actually did. So you know what? There, there, was, there was a crack and crap all involved. <laughs> well, I meant crack because of the butt crack. Mate. Yes. Come on. But it also works for crap, Steve. It's a wonderful serendipitous happenstance. Um, but listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, sorry we kind of, like I said, inadvertently uh, teased you, but uh, we will have some exciting new format content coming soon um, once once these circumstances have resolved themselves. But in the meantime, please follow us on social media. You're missing out on all the polls that we're conducting at the end of this if you are not following us because you can vote there. Uh, Mike will tell you a little bit more about the most recent result we had. But uh, check us out at The Song Topsy Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check me out uh, on my social media. Just look for Nick Brigadier. I think I'm the only one who exists. And uh, Mr. Mike Russell, where can we find you? Yes, you can find me on my Instagram at MrMikeRussell.com. That's MrAmar.dot. And uh, yeah, like Nick said, you know, check out our stuff. Check out the uh, the Song Topsy Report Instagram. Send us your song suggestions uh, for our listener submitted episodes. Smell what we're cooking, listeners. Yeah, and help and and help throw some ingredients <clears throat> into uh, to this uh, meals we make. Weekly, whatever. No, I like that um, metaphor. It worked. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So, oh, so speaking of uh, stuff that you can send us or do with us, we do have our weekly poll. Last week, we asked you if you preferred pina coladas or getting caught in the rain. And let me tell you, it was, and there was a lot of votes. There this was, was the most votes we've votes. gotten in a poll. Most votes in a poll. And it was split 50-50. Some of y'all want the boozy beverage, and some of y'all want that, you know, that that beautiful makeout romance, or, or maybe some of you just like like it when you're out walking and it rains on you. Sometimes you need a a, a lonely rain. You guys ever have a little lonely rain walk? Oh yeah, no, I I, I I I it's my Eastern European, I think, but I bask in melancholy shit like that. I'm never alone when I walk. For Jesus walks with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I love that, Steve. That's great. And um, geez. I almost want to ask what, maybe not even a poll, I kind of want to do a question 
about pies because that's all I can think about right now. Like what your favorite Ooh, pie uh, is. Uh, but ask if they prefer pie or strudel. Pie or strudel, or both, <laughs> or neither. I Some people know. just aren't dessert fans. <laughs> I'm. I'm asking. Uh, all right. I guess I should do. I think a poll is better than a question. I suppose. Ah, you know, no, fuck it, guys. I want to know what people's favorite pies are. I don't think I've ever asked that. Have I ever asked that? No, you have never asked what people's favorite pies are. I want to know what your favorite pie is. All right, if it's uh, you, you know, if you you can get real, you can be gross. I don't care. And no smart ass. Oh, it's whatever one gives me the circumference of the circle. None of that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> If I get if I get one three point one four, mark my words, bring down the whole damn social media. Uh, no, that'll be good. Uh, my favorite pie, guys, is um, I really like. I'm a simple American man with the with the apple pie. Maybe some peanut butter pie once in a while. What about you guys? What's your favorite pie? I don't know if I have a favorite, but I remember like two years ago, I had a gluten free blueberry pie that was fantastic. And it's left a lasting impression on me. Because I would have said apple pie before, but now I'm not so sure. Oh, we're actually answering this? Oh, okay. Steve, um, I want to know what your favorite pie is, man. Like, the people I, want to know. I enjoy... It doesn't matter what your favorite <laughs> pie is, you piece of shit. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Hoisted by my own petard. Oh, man. I hate you and love you, Mike, for that. It was brilliant and brilliantly evil. Uh, Steve, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Your Man Trollo, on my personal website, stephentrollinger.com, on the Dapper Devil Productions website, and all of our goodies contained therein, and on the Nathan's Hot Dog YouTube page uh, for their uh, uh, commercial entitled... Virtual wedding is what it was called. Yes. Steve, um, I might keep this audio in. I might not. Are, am I allowed to just like download that video and then share it on our uh, Instagram? I don't. I don't know because okay. I don't remember what I signed. Okay. So. At the bare minimum, um, like on our Twitter and Facebook, we'll we'll add the link so you guys can watch it there. Yeah. Because, like I said, I Steve, I did not know you could fit that many hot dogs in your mouth. Wait, I, 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 I the video is just Andy Cohen slowly inserting more and more hot dogs into Steve's mouth while Steve on his knees looks up at him. It's wild. <laughs> it's very avant-garde, but um, and I didn't, I didn't fully get like kind of the underlying narrative of it, but it was really interesting to watch. And like Steve keeps shaking his head, but Andy Cohen just keeps shoving, shoving him in. <laughs> uh, but yes, check that out. We will, we will post that video someplace. Um, where it is more easily visible, and maybe buy some Nathan's hot dogs. We don't get any, um, we don't get any like kickbacks from that. But Nathan's hot dogs are one of the few major brands that do advertise that they're gluten free, so they do have a soft space in my heart. I'd put a little ass on them. Nathan's, put a little ass on them. <laughs> and I suppose with that, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. And until next week, I am Nick Brigadier. I'm Mike Russell. And I've got three seconds. And the rock means three seconds to do this bit before the end of the episode. And I'd say you did it just in time. Uh, and we will see you next week. Take care. <laughs>